the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is our time. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. Today we're going to talk with Larry Gadbaugh. He's CEO of First Image. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court case Nifla versus Basara or Bacara. Uh, this is the case that not only affects uh, 140 pregnancy resource center member uh, centers in California, but pro-life uh, pregnancy centers uh, nationwide, as well as some faith-based ministries, including churches, could be impacted by this decision as well. We'll fill you in on all the important details in the final segment of this hour's program. And uh, it, at the five o'clock hour, we're going to talk with uh, Patty Garibay. She is the national executive director and founder of American Heritage Girls. We'll talk with Bill Gibbons. He's the superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy. He'll join us uh, later in the five o'clock hour to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the unique things that Cornerstone Christian is doing as they are preparing to uh, relocate as well as establish a high school. So that's coming up in the uh, five o'clock hour as well. Well, speaking from one of the state's hardest hit by the opioid epidemic, the president today uh, laid out a battle plan that calls for harsher sentences and even the death penalty for traffickers. The president called for expanded treatment options for victims in Manchester, New Hampshire, in a speech there, but leveled most of his uh, emphasis on the beefed up enforcement. And he heaped plenty of scorn on the people he believes are responsible for as many as 42,000 U.S. deaths per year. These are terrible people, the president said, and we have to get tough with those people people. Uh, Speaking of traffickers and dealers, this isn't about committees. This isn't about winning a very, uh, this is rather about winning a very tough problem. The ultimate penalty has to be the death penalty, he said before musing. Maybe our country is not ready for that. Well, Trump wants uh, Congress to pass legislation reducing the amount of drugs needed to trigger mandatory minimum sentences for traffickers who knowingly distribute certain illicit opioids. The death penalty would be pursued where appropriate under current law, Justice Department said. Says the federal death penalty is available for several limited drug-related offenses, including violations of drug kingpin provisions in federal law. Well, President Trump reiterated an observation he has shared several times before that a person in the United States can get the death penalty or life in prison for shooting one person, but that a drug dealer whose actions could lead to thousands of overdoses can spend little or no time in jail. The president said the federal government may consider aggressive litigation against pharmaceutical companies deemed complicit in the crisis. He singled out Mexico and China as main sources of illicit uh, illicit opioids, rather. A Drug Enforcement Administration report last year said seizures indicated that China supplies um, lower volumes of high-purity fentanyl, whereas fentanyl seizures from Mexico are high-volume but lower in purity. Smuggling operations in both countries constantly try to elude U.S. officials by selling through the Internet and sending the substances, which uh, chemists um, uh, for these uh, traffickers often alter to opioid detection. 
through the U.S. Postal Service. The president also announced a nationwide public awareness campaign, as well as increased research and development through public-private partnerships between federal national institutes of health and pharmaceutical companies. Meanwhile, some of the lead stories today uh, in Austin, Texas, uh, they're on edge as uh, early uh, this morning, an explosion injured two people, left police wondering whether the blast was related to three others that have already gripped the city in fear. The latest blast occurred on Sunday night in a suburban neighborhood known as Travis County in southwest Austin. Authorities said the explosion may have been triggered by a tripwire, but cautioned that they were still processing the scene. I think they have are closer to confirming that now. Austin Police Chief Brian Manley said earlier today that based on the evidence that had been seen, they believe a bomb did detonate. He said that police were uh, uh, worried that they were under the belief that the explosion was related to three others, but investigators still had yet to process the entire scene. Residents within a half mile of the blast were urged to stay in their homes until at least 10 a.m. local time. Sunday's explosion was the fourth to rock Austin, less than three weeks uh, however, the three previous blasts occurred on the east side of the city. On the second, a package bomb exploded at an East Austin home, killing a 39-year-old man. Then, 10 days later, on the 12th of March, two package bombs in other parts of the city exploded, killing a 17-year-old, wounding his mother, and injuring a 75-year-old woman. Rewards for arrest in that Austin package bombing case tops $100,000. And an attorney for President Trump said the president is not considering or discussing firing special counsel Robert Mueller after Trump fired off a series of tweets criticizing the investigation into Russian action during the 2016 presidential election. In response to media speculation and related questions being posed to the administration, the White House yet again confirmed that the president is not considering or discussing the firing of special counsel Robert Mueller, read a statement from Ty Cobb. His remarks came one day after the president's personal lawyer, John Dowd, called on Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein to bring an end to the Mueller inquiry. On Sunday evening, hours after a uh, Dobb uh, statement, uh, Trump tweeted, the Mueller investigation or the probe should never have been started in that there was no collusion and there was no crime. It was based on fraudulent activities and a fake dossier paid for by Crooked Hillary and the DNC and improperly used, improperly used in FISA court for surveillance of my campaign and in all caps, which hunt exclamation point. In other news, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe is reportedly considering all options save his government to, to save his pension as various Democrats extended job offers following his firing on Friday. More on that, uh, whether or not he's actually lost his pension. Attorney General Jeff Sessions fired McCabe just days before he would have been eligible for a lifetime pension after it was determined that he lied to investigators reviewing the Bureau's uh, probe of Hillary Clinton's email server. McCabe blasted his uh, uh, firing as a uh, part of an ongoing war on the FBI and an attempt to undermine Russia's special counsel Mueller's investigation. This attack on my credibility is one part of a larger effort, uh, not just to slander me personally, but to taint the FBI, law enforcement and intelligence professionals more generally, he said in a statement. It is of this administration's ongoing war. Uh, its persistence in this campaign only highlights the importance of the special counsel's work. McCabe has received job offers from Democratic representatives Mark Picone, Jamie Raskin and Louis Gutierrez. Andrew McCabe's firing from the FBI may have been justified, uh, Senator Schiff has said. Uh, rather surprisingly, but didn't uh, confirm that, but said it may have been based on recommendations from within the agency itself. 
Also, the first lawsuit following last week's deadly bridge collapse in Florida's International University is expected to be filed. I will be filing the first civil uh, lawsuit related to the hashtag FIUB bridge collapse tomorrow morning. Matt Morgan of the Morgan and Morgan Law Firm tweeted earlier today, it is imperative we act quickly to secure critical documentation and data. Thoughts and prayers to all the families impacted by this tragedy. Attorneys with the firm are scheduled to hold a press conference uh, earlier today in Orlando regarding the uh, suit. They said it would be filed to on behalf of someone who was injured in the collapse but did not specify which person. Bridge collapse uh, victims have now been identified, including one FIU college student and five others. Meanwhile, Hillary Clinton attempted to explain her comments about American voters and the two election uh, during the 2016 election during a recent trip to India in a lengthy Facebook post that claimed she meant no disrespect to any individual or group. I'm not sure how you could try to square those two things, what she actually said and what she's saying now. But she told attendees at a conference in Mumbai that Americans did not deserve a Trump presidency, said she won the states, that she's optimistic, diverse. Uh, her supporters were optimistic, diverse dynamic moving forward and said that Trump campaign was looking backwards. She summed up Trump's message as, you know, you didn't like um, if you didn't like black people getting rights, you didn't like women, you know, getting jobs. You don't want, uh, you know, to see Indian Americans succeeding more than you are, end quote. In her Facebook message, Clinton said she understood the uproar over her comments, but she did not back away from them. I understand how some of what I said upset people and can be misinterpreted, including many in her own party. She went on to say, I meant no disrespect respect to any individual or group, and I want to look to the future as much as anybody. Well, many Democrats are saying they, too, want to look to the future, and that future does not include Hillary Rodham Clinton. We're going to take a break here in just a moment. Uh, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, later this hour, we're going to talk with Larry Gadboss, CEO of First Image. There's a Supreme Court case, perhaps the most significant case related to pregnancy resource uh, centers. But beyond that as well, we'll talk about it later this hour. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 21 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Portions of our program today are brought to you by Zero Res. Well, President Trump called Andrew McCabe a choir boy as he allotted the former acting FBI director's firing, suggesting multiple federal reports show corruption at the highest levels. Writing, Andrew McCabe fired a great day for the hardworking men and women of the FBI, a great day for democracy. Sanctimonious James Comey was the boss and made McCabe look like a choir boy. He knew all about the lies, and it goes on from there. Well, McCabe was fired just days before he would have been eligible for a lifetime pension, not pension, but a lifetime pension after it was uh, determined that he had lied to investigators reviewing the bureau probe of Hillary Clinton's email server. Pursuant to Department Order 1202 and based on the report of the Inspector General, the findings of the FBI Office of Professional Responsibility and the recommendation of the department's senior career official, I have terminated the employment of Andrew McCabe effective immediately. Sessions said in a statement, he went on to say that after reviewing the report, it was McCabe um, uh, who made uh, made an unauthorized disclosure to the news media and lacked candor, including under oath on multiple occasions. I have terminated the employment of Andrew McCabe effective immediately. Well, the FBI expects every employee to adhere to the highest standards of honesty, integrity and accountability. As the OPR proposal stated, all FBI employees know that lacking candor under oath results in dismissal and that our integrity is our brand. Sessions went on to say, well, newly fired 
Board um, official McCabe kept personal memos similar to those compiled by James Comey and um, interactions with President Donald Trump, who asked Comey uh, in uh, as Feb- FBI director. The memo disclosure on Saturday confirmed um, uh, comes after the one-time FBI deputy director was fired. McCabe gave a copy of the memos, which also included what Comey told him about his interactions with uh, Trump, to special counsel Robert Mueller, who's leading the federal investigation into whether Trump's campaign colluded with Russia during the 2016 election. Sessions said Friday night that he uh, acted on McCabe's termination after a Justice Department Inspector General's report and the recommendations of FBI disciplinary officials. McCabe was fired two days before officially retiring and became eligible to receive his full retirement. McCabe uh, uh, fired um, by the uh, the White House. So that adds more fodder to the speculation about what happens next. Meanwhile, Judge um, Napolitano suggests that uh, the firing of McCabe, despite the recommendations from within the agency and the inspector general, could very well be interpreted as obstruction of justice. And there's some speculation as to whether or not Mueller is, in fact, expanding the investigation to into the potential of obstruction of justice, not just with the McCabe firing, but other firings that preceded his. Meanwhile, there's been a lot of talk about um, Mr. McCabe losing his um, his pension, and that needs to be somewhat clarified. Members of the media remarked that McCabe could qualify for pension benefits if he worked a little over a day in any other federal position. Several congressmen tweeted offers saying that they would be happy to hire McCabe for a day or so just so he could retire with benefits. However, McCabe has not been stripped of his pension at all. In fact, that is impossible to do to a federal employee after five years of employment. I know many of you speculated as well. How is it possible that uh, being fired one day before uh, your uh, retirement, you could lose your entire pension. Well, the 21 career FBI official lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in early retirement benefits, including the privilege of uh, retiring at 50 rather than 57 and age 62. That's a luxury, uh, luxury rather, virtually unheard of in the private sector. His yearly payments would reach uh, around $60,000 if he qualified for the early retirement program. It will be less now that he no longer re- um, is eligible for that program. Attorney General said as I mentioned, fired him uh, the second in command at the FBI after the inspector general's report. Well, critics of Sessions' decision to fire McCabe just before he was to retire called it cruel and dangerous and said it allowed too much freedom to an erratic president. But again, it adjusts his pension. It does not uh, eliminate it altogether. I think it's an important clarification. Meanwhile, the uh, Trump administration on Thursday last sanctioned 19 Russian individuals, five Russian entities for allegedly interfering in the 2016 uh, election uh, and engaging in cyber attacks. The announcement was made by the Department of the Treasury and includes the 13 Russians who were recently indicted in special counsel Robert Mueller's probe. probe rather. These targeted sanctions are a part of a broader effort to address the ongoing nefarious attacks emanating from Russia, the Treasury Secretary said in a statement. The Treasury Department said the sanctions are meant to counter Russia's destabilizing activities, including its interference in the 2016 election and its disruptive uh, cyber attacks. Uh, the department cited the uh, not uh, Patia attack, a, a cyber attack the White House and the British government have attributed to the Russian military. Last month, 13 Russians and three Russian companies were in, indicted in Mueller's probe, accusing them of sophisticated plot to wage information warfare against the United States. The 13 Russians charged, whose names are difficult to pronounce, uh, will be singled out in this um, 
sanction scheme. rather. The sanctions also target two entities and six individuals accused of being cyber actors operating on behalf of the Russian government. Meanwhile, in no real surprise, Vladimir Putin rolled to a crushing re-election victory on Sunday for six more years as Russia's president. And he told a cheering crowd of supporters in the triumphant but brief speech that we are bound for success. There, ha- there had been no doubt that Putin would, in fact, win in his fourth electoral contest. He faced seven minor candidates and his most prominent foe was blocked from the ballot. His only real challenge was to run up the uh, tally so high that he could claim an indisputable mandate. With the ballots uh, from 80 percent of Russia's precincts counted by early Monday, Putin had amassed 76 percent of the vote. Observers and individual voters reported widespread violations, including ballot box stuffing, forced voting. But the claims were unlikely to dilute the power of Russia's longest serving leader since Joseph Stalin. As the embodiment of Russia's resurgent power on the world stage, Putin commands immense loyalty among Russians. Whether that's real or coerced, more than 30,000 crowded into the square adjacent to the Kremlin in temperatures of minus 10 degrees for a victory concert and to await his words. Putin extolled them for their support. I am a member of your team, and he promised them that we are bound for success. Then he left the stage after speaking for less than two minutes, a seemingly perfunctory, uh, perfunctory appearance that um, uh, encapsulated the campaign's predictability. Since he uh, took the helm of Russia in, uh, on New Year's Eve in 1999 after Boris Yeltsin's surprise resignation, his electoral power has centered on stability, a uh, quality cherished by Russians after the chaotic breakup of the Soviet Union and the wild capitalism of the Yeltsin years. But that stability has been bolstered by a suppression of dissent, the withering... Um, of independent media and the top-down control of politics called managed democracy, which isn't technically democracy at all. Well, a serial bomber is likely responsible for four explosions in Austin this month. We'll tell you more about that when we return from the break. And also officials said an Arizona woman was killed after being struck by a self-driving Uber vehicle early today, an incident believed to be the first of its kind in the United States. We'll talk about that and more in just a few moments. Also, Larry Gadball will join us. He is the CEO of First Image. We're going to talk about the case to be heard uh, tomorrow, oral arguments given to the Supreme Court of the United States. And this is a far-reaching case with uh, very serious implications. It not only affects the 140 Pregnancy Resource Center member centers in California, but pro-life pregnancy centers nationwide and even other faith-based ministries, including churches. We'll talk with Larry Gadbaugh about that and the case that's going to be heard by the oral arguments heard by the court tomorrow. We're also going to talk in the five o'clock hour with Patty Garibay. She's the National Executive Director and founder of American Heritage Girls. In fact, that organization was founded before uh, the uh, the male version we talked about last week. And we'll talk with Bill Gibbons. He's the superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy. They're doing some amazing things there as we continue our highlight on Christian schools in the Portland metro area that I think you'll be very uh, proud to, to learn more about and to know that they're contributing to our broader community. So we're looking forward to that. 30 minutes after 4 o'clock is our time. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
35 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A serial bomber is likely responsible for four explosions in Austin this month, the latest of which injured two people Sunday night after they crossed a tripwire possibly made with fishing line, officials have disclosed. Austin Police Chief Brian Manley said at a news conference earlier today that although the bomb that injured two men on Sunday night was linked to these three previous blasts, the latest bomb involved a tripwire while the previous explosions were package bombs left on people's doorsteps. We've seen a change in the method this suspect is using, he told reporters. Austin's top cop also called on whoever is behind the string of bombings that have killed two to reach out to police to let them know why they're setting off the explosives. Manley said that it's too soon to say whether the blast Sunday night could have been a response to his call a day prior uh, to, for those behind the bombing to reach out. We are clearly dealing with what we uh, uh, what we expect to be a serial bomber at this point based on the similarities between uh, what happened um, and this fourth device. Uh, the special agent in charge of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms says the latest bomb was more sophisticated because it used a tripwire. He said the tripwire devices possibly using fish wi- fishing line rather and are triggered by victims applying any kind of pressure or tension. We are more concerned now that is people see something suspicious uh, that they stay away and contact law enforcement and do not contact the device. The men injured Sunday night in the explosion in the southeastern, or rather southwestern, Austin neighborhood of Travis County, ages 22 and 23, are Caucasian, unlike the victims in the three earlier attacks who were black or Hispanic. The men on Sunday were walking their bicycles when the explosive, uh, de- the explosive uh, rather, detonated, uh, which differs from the three previous attacks, which involved package bombs left on people's doorsteps, according to police. And, of course, they're trying to find any link they can Uh, among the victims to try to determine what the motive might be and trace uh, the perpetrators. Also, officials said an Arizona woman uh, was killed after being struck by a self-driving Uber vehicle early today, an incident believed to be the first of its kind. The accident in the Phoenix suburb of Tempe caused the company to suspend all testing of self-driving vehicles in cities across the country. The police there in Tempe told uh, Fox 10 Phoenix uh, that the woman was walking outside of a crosswalk when she was struck by the vehicle. The woman was taken to a nearby hospital where she later died. Well, the self-driving Uber was in autonomous mode at the time of the collision, and there was a vehicle operator behind the wheel. Not quite sure how that works, but the operator was not responsible for driving the car. Uber said on Twitter that the company is fully cooperating with local authorities as the investigation occurs and told the Associated Press it's halted testing of all self-driving vehicles in cities across the country. Our hearts go out to the victim's family, Uber's. Uh, comms tweeted, we are fully cooperating. Uber CEO Adara Koroshki uh, tweeted, some incredibly sad news out in Arizona. We're thinking of the victim's family as we work with local law enforcement to understand what happened. The company has been uh, testing autonomous vehicles in Pittsburgh, in San Francisco, Toronto, and the greater Phoenix area for months. Automakers and tech companies are competing to be the first with the technology. The fleet of uh, Ford Fusion self-driving cars um, was involved in this particular crash. The National Transportation Safety Board said it was sending a team to investigate the crash. The National Highway Traffic uh, Safety Administration said in a statement to Reuters, it is uh, in a contract with uh, contact rather with Uber, Volvo, federal, state, and local authorities regarding the incident, and will take appropriate action.
The Oregon Supreme Court last week took the unusual step of suspending a sitting state court judge, Vance Day of Salem, for three years. The high court found that Day first appointed in 2011 to the bench in Marion County Circuit Court committed willful misconduct and made willful misstatements to investigators to cover up the truth. Well, Day acted with prejudice, they went on to say, against same-sex couples by deciding he wouldn't marry them and he instructed his staff to employ a scheme to avoid public detection of his plan, the Supreme Court said. The court singled out as exceptionally serious misconduct, false claims by Day that he didn't know a man he supervised on probation was a felon. Day allowed the man to handle a gun twice in his presence, even though Day had told him in court that he was forbidden from handling firearms. The court also found that Day lied about being assaulted by a referee or sports official as his, at his son's Chemeketa College Community College soccer game. We conclude that a lengthy suspension is required to preserve public confidence in the integrity and impartiality of the judiciary, the court's opinion said. Day's pattern of making false statements suggests that he is not trustworthy, the court said. Janet Schroer, an attorney for the judge, said that she was still reading and digesting the 91-page opinion. She said she had no immediate comment for her client but planned to have one. Day has been a lawyer in Oregon since 1991. He was appointed to the judgeship by then-Governor John Kitzhaber and elected to full six-year term in November of 2012, meaning his term would have expired later this year in any case. But a three-year suspension is a grave dishonor in the legal profession, and he wouldn't be able to run for re-election during that time. He also won't be paid for the remainder of his term. Going forward, the Oregon State Bar could seek to have Day disbarred as a lawyer or otherwise disciplined. Day's been fighting accusations of judicial unfitness since as early as 2013. The Oregon Commission on Judicial Fitness and Disability recommended his removal from office in a scathing report in January of 2016. The commission found that he had engaged in a pattern of dishonesty to hide a wide array of misdeeds. Among the commission's findings that he refused to marry a same-sex couple, they uh, included a portrait of Adolf Hitler as part of a Hall of Heroes artwork display he erected in the Marion County Courthouse. They shoved his judicial business card at his son's soccer referee in an attempt to intimidate the referee into backing off, and they wrongfully allowed a felon to handle a firearm. In that last case, the Supreme court found that Day had invited a felon felony drinking, a rather drunken driving defendant who was under Day's supervision in a veterans court uh, program to his son's uh, son-in-law's home in November of 2013. Once there, he asked the felon if he could find a gun hidden in a secret compartment of some cabinetry, the Supreme Court said. He gave the felony his, felon rather, his permission to handle the gun after he found the secret compartment. In Ju- January of 2014, uh, Day and his son also showed up to the felon's home. Day gave the felon permission to handle a gun that his son brought with him and the okay to teach his son how to target shoot with it later that day, according to the Supreme Court's Summary. During oral arguments before that court, last June, Day's lawyer defended his actions on many fronts. They said their client didn't want to marry same-sex couples because of his deeply held religious beliefs and that Day, uh, Day's beliefs are constitutionally protected. His lawyers also acknowledged that he had made some mistakes, but none that warranted removal from the bench. He hadn't been uh, hearing cases since November of 2016 when he was arraigned on felony and misdemeanor accusations that he provided a gun to a felon on two occasions. Day is scheduled to go to trial in April and has vigorously denied he committed any crimes. Meanwhile, he has been uh, working from home, doing research and other non-judicial tasks as assigned. He had been uh, drawing his full legislatively uh, set salary 
which is $124,000 per year. The Supreme Court has the power to punish judges who it finds in violation of professional codes of conduct. The punishment in Day's case could have been a, as light as a public reprimand or as severe as removal from office. Rather, he received a suspension. I won't launch into uh, this story because I won't have time to uh, bring it up, but I'll try to get to it tomorrow. A student has been kicked out of a class for telling his professor there are only two genders. It was a religious studies major, and the uh, individual was barred from Christianity class at Indiana University of Pennsylvania for saying during the class that there are only two genders, which seems altogether consistent. However, uh, Lake Engel, a senior at the university, said he was silenced and punished by the professor for questioning her during a February 28th Christianity 481 Self, Sin, and Salvation lecture. After showing a 15-minute TED Talk by a transgender ex-pastor, Paula Stone Williams, discussing the reality of mansplaining sexism from men and male privilege, the professor asked the woman, rather the women in the class, to share their thoughts. When no woman in the class said anything, Engel spoke up, challenging the professor on biology and the gender wage gap. He told the class that the official view of biologists, rather, is that there are only two genders. The feminist professor booted him from the class, asked him not to come back. She referred him to the public university's academic integrity board. Engel needs to complete that class to graduate at the end of the semester. Uh, So it is uh, rather significant. We'll get into that in greater detail tomorrow. But those are at least uh, the basic facts of the, the case. And the author of This Is Not a Daycare, um, we're, we're tr- working on a conversation with him about that. He is the president of a university, not that one. Uh, but by the way, they've offered to, to provide what this student uh, needs in order to graduate. 45 minutes after 4 o'clock is the time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Larry Gadbop, CEO of First Image, up next. We're going to talk about a very important Supreme Court case that's going to be taken up tomorrow. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, this month brings the first image and pregnancy resource centers all across the, uh, the country, really, to a crossroads when the United States Supreme Court makes its decision in Nifla versus Basara or Bacara. We'll clarify that in a moment. The pregnancy resource centers of Portland and the whole nation will either lose their freedom of conscience or will have their freedom reinforced to present alternatives to abortion to thousands of women facing pressures to abort their babies. Here to talk with us about this uh, pivotal case is Larry Gadbaugh. He's the CEO of First Image. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Georgine. Like many of our listeners, I received by email a letter that you had written about this case, just warning us of the significance of uh, the decision the Supreme Court is going to be making between now and June. And I wanted to make sure our listeners were aware for a couple of reasons. One certainly is that we would begin to pray for an outcome that would uh, preserve the freedom uh, to, uh, to share alternatives to abortion. Now, tomorrow, the Supreme Court of the United States is going to hear arguments in one of the most important First Amendment cases of our time. Tell us about uh, this Nifla versus, and you can correct the pronunciation, Basara or Bakara case. Well, I'm, I, I can't uh, improve on your pronunciation, <laughs> <attempt>. but <laughs> yeah, this is as good as mine. Uh, this case has come because in 2015, uh, California passed a law that requires pregnancy resources in California to post uh, notices on any advertisement and within their centers referring 
clients, people that come in for help at a pregnancy resource center, a life-affirming pregnancy resource center, to send them to abortionists. And, of course, this goes contrary, goes uh, directly against the very reason why pregnancy resource centers exist. And so in uh, legal language, it's called uh, compelled speech, which is against the the freedom of speech in the Constitution. And so it's forcing uh, those of us who seek to help women facing unplanned pregnancies and giving them alternatives to abortion, it's forcing us to basically be marketing uh, abortion centers instead. And so this goes against the freedom of religion. It goes against the freedom of speech. Um, it's uh, it's a real violation of the Constitution and our consciences. Well, the, the appeals court has already had already ruled on this. This is really a a good thing that the U.S. Supreme Court um, has decided to hear this case because what's at stake is much broader than just the PRCs in California, although that's significant enough. It really has implications for uh, pregnancy resource centers here in Oregon and all across the country, as well as churches, I understand. It does. And, uh, you know, this is the same kind of bill that uh, that the Oregon, that uh, the abortion industry sought to pass in Oregon in 2011, 2013. Thankfully, it never got a committee in Oregon. It did pass in California. And so once they get that uh, beachhead, so to speak, in California, if it, is, if it does not get overturned by the Supreme Court in this, uh, in this case, then we know the abortion industry intends to march it through every state in the union. Mm. I like how the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates put it. There are few things more hostile to freedom than forcing people to advance a cause in which they fundamentally oppose. However, that is exactly what the state of California is trying to do and, quite frankly, succeeded. It's important for every pregnancy center nationwide to understand what is at stake and help to educate their communities about the ramifications of this case. Now, what we're talking about is the California Reproductive Fact Act, as they put it, and the signs that are uh, required to be placed, um, the the font size is uh, prescribed, the number of languages uh, is prescribed, and any advertising, from what I understand, would also have to include um, information about uh, low-cost abortions and free abortions in the state of California as well, at the expense of the resource center that would be uh, purchasing those ads. That's right. And if the if a pregnancy resource center does not uh, comply with that law, they face very heavy fines, which would lead to their bankruptcy, almost certainly. Well, this is really extraordinary how it managed to, first of all, pass in California, although we're talking about California, but how a lower court would affirm that this was, in fact, uh, a law that should be permitted to stand. Well, yes. And I was listening to Alliance Defending Freedom uh, uh, interview uh, earlier or, or later last week, and uh, they were saying that it's very clear that this was a very targeted, intentional uh, scheme by both the California legislators as well as the abortion industry. And so there's something wrong with that as well. So this is part of their agenda to silence and to eliminate pregnancy resource centers. They want to be the only voices in so-called women's reproductive health. They want to silence anyone that doesn't walk lockstep with them in promoting abortion. 
it's really incredible, but I, I have to say it says something about the effectiveness of pregnancy resource centers that these centers that receive no uh, money from the state, no municipal funds of any kind that function solely on the, the generous uh, giving of people, of like-minded people to serve women in their respective communities are such a threat that they have to go to, to these kinds of links to try to silence these ministries. So on the one hand, this is uh, reprehensible. On the other hand, it does uh, it does indicate a real difference is being made. They also want to cover up the, uh, the, the fact that we see in our centers when we provide free ultrasound, uh, limited ultrasounds to these women, that nine out of 10 of the women who see their baby on an ultrasound, those who are being influenced towards abortion for all kinds of, of reasons, some very, very difficult reasons, that when they see their baby on the ultrasound, nine out of 10 of them choose to birth their baby instead of abort them. And this just tells us that when when their uh, life-giving uh, uh, you know, motivation that I think God has hardwired into the image of God to be life givers. When they, when that's awakened in them, when they see that baby on the screen, they, they choose life instead of moving towards abortion. It, it just tells us that the majority of women, uh, if they're given the full information, yes. they're given support uh, and care in a compassionate, non-coercive way. Uh, most women really don't want to abort their babies. Again, quoting from the National Institute of Families and Life Advocates, they point out that almost 30 Friends of the Court briefs have been supported, have been filed supporting NIFLA, 22 states, 144 members of Congress, 23 esteemed law professors, many pro-family and pro-life groups have also written in favor of uh, the pregnancy resource centers, uh, centers, rather, and that many constitutional law experts are predicting that the Supreme Court should rule in our favor, 9 to 0 because the First Amendment protects Americans from efforts by uh, the government to compel them to promote an idea that they find morally objectionable. Now, that certainly is not a guarantee, but it is somewhat encouraging. What can we do now uh, to try to influence the outcome of this very important case? Well, the most important thing to do is to pray, because there's a Supreme Court above the United States Supreme Court, <laughs> yes. the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and, and to pray for those who are in authority. Uh, as the scripture tells us, and uh, and you know, serving at uh, first image, I think has taught me how to pray uh, for those in authority, like I haven't in the past, and praying that that uh, the the Supreme Court justices would fear the Lord, that they would know that they are uh, stewards of the Constitution and stewards of the of the justice and mercy that we as citizens are supposed to carry out on behalf of of our neighbors and to pray for them and to pray that God would would be merciful to the women and the unborn children that this law affects and that uh, that the laws of the land would protect the unborn instead of making it easier to abort them. Well, the court is going to hear oral arguments. This is the U.S. Supreme Court uh, tomorrow. And uh, there's going to be, a, I, from what I understand, pregnancy resource centers from around the country are going to uh, stand in support of the unborn and women in our country on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court in solidarity. And we have an opportunity to pray. Uh, certainly after those oral arguments are heard, then the, the uh, jurists will be deliberating and pondering their decisions, and then they'll write the decision. So we do have an opportunity and uh, to... Uh, appeal to the ultimate Supreme Court, and the decision should be uh, made public sometime between now and June. 
Um, Larry, thank you so much for informing us, for standing in the gap, and uh, we certainly will commit to pray and see what God will do in changing the course of a mighty river in the heart of a king, in this case, 13 black-robed Supreme Court justices. Thank you, Georgine. Hey, God bless. Again, Larry Gadbaugh is the uh, CEO of the Pregnancy Resource Centers here in the Portland area, and there are uh, some 30-plus, 38 Pregnancy Resource Centers across the state of Oregon. They have uh, established an association to defend their right to function here in Oregon, the Oregon Pregnancy Centers Association, wisely, something that didn't happen in California until it was almost too late. Anyway, I hope you will commit to praying. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a few moments. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part today by Liberty Coin and Currency. Well, my next guest, Patty Garibay, she is the founder and executive director of the National Character Development Organization, American Heritage Girls. She was educated at The Ohio State University with majors in secondary education and French. She shares a love of history and of youth. Over her tenure with American Heritage Girls, she's been featured across hundreds of nationally recognized media outlets, including Axis Parenting Teen Summit, Axis Online Homeschool Convention, Family Life Radio, Time Magazine, The New York Times, and she was one one of the first guests featured on James Dobson's Family Talk. She's been named a Woman of Excellence by the Westchester Liberty Chamber Alliance in 2004 and was named a member of the American Family Association's 40 Faithful in 2017. She was nominated and selected to be a Woman of Influence through Lead Magazine in 2017 as well. While she was a stay-at-home mom raising her children, Patty served in a variety of capacities as a volunteer, including 12 years as a Girl Scout volunteer, receiving numerous recognition recognitions for outstanding performance as a recruiter and troop leader. Patty and her husband, Pat, are blessed with four grown children, three girls and a boy, five grandsons and two granddaughters. She joins us today to talk about a great organization for young girls of a Christian worldview, American Heritage Girls USA. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. As I mentioned, you are the mother of uh, four, three girls and a boy. You were committed as a volunteer to Girl Scouts. Tell us a little of your story and how ultimately you stepped away from Girl Scouts and uh, into uh, founding American Heritage Girls. Well, it, it started way long time ago when I was a little girl, which was really a long time ago. <laughs> and my mom was my Girl Scout leader. And I could not wait until that day when I would have girls of my own and I would be able to do the same thing for them. And that was to lead them in a Girl Scout troop and have all the fun and traditions that was Girl Scouting. And so I did that for a while. I did that for a good 12 years um, for all three of my daughters. I served on multiple troop uh, capabilities as their leaders. I even did a troop at one point, all three girls troops at one time. And I served as a national delegate. And I actually created troops in my area, and I was called a troop organizer. Many of my friends would say that I bled green. I I dedicated 30 to 40 hours a week of volunteer time to Girl Scouting, and I loved it. And then there was a fateful day Mm. where I had to make a decision. And that's the day when the Girl Scouts created a proposal for their national convention that would change the role of God in the Girl Scout promise. They called this flexibility in spiritual wording. And Georgine, essentially what that did is it allowed for 
not just um, people not of the Christian faith, but of no faith at all. Atheists would now be admitted into the Girl Scouts, as would Wiccans or Oestrians or whatever you want to call, whatever your faith is, it was now going to be accepted into the Girl Scouts. And I had a moral dilemma with that. And um, knowing that, that was a big deal because I used Girl Scouting as part of my ministry to help girls understand who they are and whose they are in Christ that I would really have a problem serving to God, so to speak. And I thought, oh, gosh, I could just keep my troop Christian, and everything would be okay. However, my husband nudged me and said, no, that's not okay. You've got to do something about this. And so I attempted to, along with some friends around a kitchen table, we went and we raised awareness about what the Girl Scouts were doing, that they were opening a virtual Pandora's box. Who knows what would be next once you kick God out of a character development program? That lets a lot of other things in. And to our dismay, people didn't really seem to care. And so we went on our way and just created this alternative club for our daughters. But little did we know that God had a much bigger plan for all of us. And here we are 22 years later, and we are serving him right in the center of his will through the American Heritage Girls. Mm. Well, it's a great opportunity for parents uh, with a Christian worldview that want that same worldview consistently taught through this kind of an association uh, of girls. Now, tell us about the focus of American Heritage Girls and and what you hope to accomplish as these young girls uh, together um, focus on a variety of things, which we'll talk about. What ultimately is your goal? Our ultimate goal really is for girls to know who they are and whose they are. That is an identity in Christ. Now, every girl that is an American Heritage Girls is not necessarily a Christian when she joins. We allow girls from all different walks to join because that's part of what we want to do is reach out to the community. However, they have to agree to an oath to God. And our oath runs this way. I promise to love God, cherish my family, honor my country, and serve in my community. All of our leaders and mentors for these girls, though, do agree to a statement of faith that says that they are a Bible-believing Christian and that they will raise up the girls in the way they should go. To put it like in a nutshell, what AHD is trying to achieve is to develop Christ-following servant leaders who are honoring, relational, anchored, and competent. That's a pretty lofty goal, but when you had the Holy Spirit all around it, it's possible. We truly do believe that. Mm. Were you surprised uh, when you began what you thought would just be an American uh, American Heritage Troop uh, that involved fourth and fifth graders, that ultimately this would spread all across the country and that there would be uh, 50-plus paid staff that are organizing uh, this movement from all across the Fruited Plain? I would have no idea. I tell you, the Lord does call those that are uh, not equipped because he equips the called, and that is certainly my story. You know, you had read my bio. I was a school teacher, Mm -hmm. and I knew nothing about running a business, much less a ministry. I certainly knew very little about hiring people or doing performance reviews or even maintaining a budget. Uh, This was all stuff that was foreign to me. But one thing I did know is that I needed to walk through these doors through obedience to the Lord and that he would supply the resource. 
Now, it didn't always come in the timing that I wanted it to, but it certainly came in God's perfect timing, and He has done the most amazing work. And I think any of us that are in the center of His will can attest to the same thing. It's not that we're special, it's just that we're willing. The You have six frontiers of the American Heritage Girls Program. Talk a little bit about uh, the emphasis of the, the groups that meet at different uh, age groups, uh, but what the focus is in helping to develop these girls to become uh, young women. Absolutely. One of the coolest parts about American Heritage Girls is that it is intergenerational. So we've got grandmas and moms and daughters all involved in the same troop. And what's really also nice is when I was blessed to start American Heritage Girls and having been a school teacher, like I said, I knew a little bit about children's development. And I found there was a way to have a troop meeting for all the girls' siblings at the same time through creating a program that whose skills was built upon another skill. For instance, the older girls would help the younger girls, and they would be able to show their their um, excellence at the skill by teaching the girl, the younger girl, that skill. And the younger girl could look up to that older girl that someday I'm going to lead in that fashion. And that has been going on for 22 years, and what a great great um, model that has become. It's all like a Titus II model, truly, mm-hmm. uh, biblical in nature, where we've got this this neat ebb and flow of the girls through their girlhood, having different experiences in American Heritage Girls. Now, because it's all age appropriate, the girls are able to learn a skill at a basic level when they're young and at a much higher level when they're older. Uh, a level so proficient that oftentimes the girls are finding their professions by doing some badge work. I know one of our alumna who fell in love with geology through our geology badge. Today, she's a geophysicist and works at the Big Island Volcano National Park. So though, you never know what's going to you know, turn a girl's fancy, and we've got stories upon stories. But we do really encourage the girls, first and foremost, to develop their faith, to understand that it is real, that it is relevant, and that it is every day. We sort of take the faith um, portion of a girl's life off of the Sunday bookend and bring it down to everyday life. And there's other mentors besides even their families to breathe that encouragement on how important it is to follow the Christian walk. And then we really love to teach the girls about servant leadership, and that is extending outside of yourself, finding your passion for caring for others. What is that that really makes you excited about serving? And that's such a blessing to watch the girls grow in that and seeking ways to serve. Patriotism is important to us. It seems like it's a lost art these days, particularly amongst the youth. Our girls learn to honor their veterans, honor the flag, honor our country, and become an active citizen. And girls do like to have fun. And so, Georgine, they do a lot of social fun things together, too, that it encourages them to build relationships and to understand how to dialogue and how to resolve conflict And we think it's really important, the out-of-doors in our program. We are very into camping and high adventures because it sort of stretches a girl and helps her with her resilience, which is important in everyday life, and also teaches her to just admire and love the out-of-doors. It's a blessing that the Lord has given us. And in today's high-tech world, it's rarely taken, Mm -hmm. taken advantage of like it should. And then finally, and probably one of the most important pieces, is for a girl to understand that she is competent and humbly competent in who she is, not because of girl power, but because of Christ's power within her. 
Mm, I love it. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, we're talking with Patty Garibay. She's the National Executive Director and founder of American Heritage Girls USA. By the way, the website, AmericanHeritageGirls.org. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're talking with Patty Garibay. She is the National Executive Director and founder of American Heritage Girls USA. It sounds like such a fun and incredible way for girls to learn. Uh, we've been talking about the fact that uh, much of what they're taught is age appropriate. Any girl from 5 to 18 can be an American Heritage Girl. Talk a bit about the five program levels in the, uh, in the organization. Absolutely. The youngest girls are called Pathfinders, and they are in age five and typically kindergarten, Um, although we have a lot of homeschoolers, as you can imagine, in American Heritage Girls, as well as public and private school kiddos. But the Pathfinder is a very rudimentary beginning. That program is all around, based all around the American Heritage Girl oath and the creed. And that creed is, as an American Heritage Girl, I promise to be compassionate, helpful, honest, loyal, perseverant, pure, resourceful, respectful, responsible, and reverent. And now as that young girl ages, she becomes what's called a tender heart. And that's for first and third graders. And then we go on to explorers, the fourth through sixth graders, pioneers, seventh and eighth graders, and then the patriots, ninth through twelfth grade. Now you can enter American Heritage Girls at any age. You don't have to begin at the beginning. It's it's really not that kind of a program. We welcome girls at whatever age and whatever station in life they're at because they're definitely going to grow and um, learn something more about themselves and also how to excel in lots of areas. You also have what's called the Trailblazer Program. Tell us a, a bit about that for the older girls. Right. This Trailblazer Program, we started to under, to realize that so many people were interested in American Heritage Girls that were in foreign countries. And so we realized, oh gosh, we are so about the military families and we're so about missionary families, but yet we're not serving them. So the Trailblazer Program allows us to go international and allow for those that uh, families that aren't stateside to be able to enjoy the program. And when and if they become stateside again, they can just come right into a troop and enjoy all the activities that they have learned as a mom and daughter or an aunt and daughter or even a grandma and, da- and granddaughter. Well, let's talk about the badge program. I think for, for most of us who are involved in this kind of an organization, earning badges and developing skills was an important part of uh, sort of tracking how um, how you're growing and learning. Describe the the badge program for these young girls? There are so many. We have 320 different badges that are centered around six frontiers of skill, we call it, to create a well-balanced program for girls. So it's not just an arts and crafts club or not just an outdoor club, but rather it's all of the different areas of the person, the emotional and the physical and the personal as well as the spiritual. And the girls are able to choose, and we encourage them to lead there and make their choices within their troop because, after all, it is their troop, not the leader's troop. And the girls choose what they would like to do, and also they have something called a level award, which is like a pinnacle award where they try to um, earn this at a certain point in in their journey, and these are pretty high-level awards that require a certain amount of badges, a certain amount of service hours, a certain amount of leadership, 
And this highest award of all for our Pinnacle Awards is called the Stars and Stripes Award. Some people may have heard of the Eagle Award from the Boy Scouts of America. Well, this is ours. It's the Stars and Stripes, and it's a little more difficult than the Eagle Award in that the girl also earns her religious recognition of her faith. So it just underscores the importance of faith service, and fun in American Heritage Girls, which is our tagline, by the way. Now, for parents who are considering uh, having their girls uh, come through the program, American Heritage Girls, um, talk about your affiliation with a denomination or denominations and how they can know that what their their daughters are being taught uh, is consistent with their Christian worldview. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, the statement of faith, and it's on our website, AmericanHeritageGirls.org. O-R-G. And this statement of faith, all of our charter partners, which are churches or private schools or other nonprofit entities, they agree that this is what they agree with. And so we've got this uniformity of belief. And that helps us to look at what we have in common rather than what we have as differences. And so we do serve various denominations. We are not affiliated with any one denomination. We are considered interdenominational. We are a parachurch, um, a parachurch ministry that is self-funded. That this is not, there is no money coming from one particular denomination. So we don't tilt either way. But the church or the private school that owns the troop, that is their troop, and they're able to influence um, what's going on in that troop regarding faith formation. So AHG is is part of a um, Christian worldview, biblical worldview. We also um, share this space with our Catholic friends as well as Protestant friends. And so it's really pretty cool to see the ecumenical come together and the church really coming together as I believe that Christ wanted it to be. Let's talk about parents who might be listening and thinking this is precisely where my daughters, my granddaughters uh, would, would thrive. Um, how can they uh, connect? And if there's uh, no troop in this community, how does that begin? Absolutely. Well, the, the quickest and easiest way is to, to pop into our website, as we mentioned several times in the program. Or if that's not a possibility, we can be reached um, every day, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Eastern Standard Time at area code 513-771-2025. On our website, though, you can pop in your zip code into the troop locator, which is right at the top right of the website, and see if there's a troop that exists in your area. If you are fortunate enough to find one and to find that there's room in that troop, our volunteers would love to have your family be part of the AHG family, and that's what we truly call it. However, if there's not a troop in your area or you would like to build a legacy, leave a legacy in your community by being part of a troop, it's very simple to start. First of all, find five people that your charter partner, the potential charter partner, maybe it's your church or your school, that would say these are going to be good leaders for this troop and they become an administrative core or a board. And then from there, unit leaders spring up where those are the people that love to work with girls. And the the troop just starts to build and grow. The average size of our troops is 40 girls. Um, So a lot, because of these various ages, a lot of kids and families are looking for this opportunity. They just need to learn about it. And I thank you for allowing me to be on. Oh, absolutely. Now, in the past 20 years, your three girls have uh, grown up. They have children of their own. What would you say is your your greatest accomplishment or your greatest joy looking back over uh, the American Heritage Girls legacy and uh, your part in it? Well, you know, I do love the Galatians 6-9. I use it as 
part of my um, my life verses, and that is, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think that's been the greatest lesson for my family, even including my son, who has been through this the entire time, and that is the importance of resilience and knowing that God will make it all work out, that you just don't give up on the first hurdle, but rather you strive through it. I think that's such an important uh, important value, and it's sort of not one that many people own these days. And so for me, that to see my kids being resilient and to push through and, and therefore be successful and, and listen to God's calling, no matter how crazy it might seem at the time, trusting Him that He'll bring you through it or He wouldn't have brought you to it, I think that's what's really the blessing that I see in my life. And I pray for my grandkids as well, that they too will learn that importance of resilience. Well, I thank you so much for being resilient and uh, providing an opportunity for families with daughters to go through a program that reflects their biblical worldview and for them to thrive as young women in a culture that isn't necessarily uh, helpful in that regard. Thank you so much for talking with us today as well. Thank you, Georgine. Have a wonderful evening. Again, Patty Garibay, she is the National Executive Director and Founder of American Heritage Girls USA. You can find out more about the organization at AmericanHeritageGirls.org. Up next, we're going to talk with Bill Gibbons. He's the superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy. Hey, one of the great schools right here in our community. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, you probably noticed that through much of February and into March, we are focusing a very bright light on some of the finest schools here in the Pacific Northwest. And today we're going to be talking about Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. Now, you'll find at Cornerstone that uh, Cornerstone rather that they pursue excellence, they provide a safe, secure, nurturing, Christ-centered environment with highly qualified qualified, passionate teachers and professionals who stimulate and inspire the academic, the personal, the spiritual, relational, and physical growth and development of their students. And I should emphasize, and we'll talk in just a moment with the superintendent, that Cornerstone is one of the most technologically advanced Christian schools, not just in our area, it certainly is that, in the nation. Well, here to talk with us more about that is Bill Gibbons. He is the superintendent of Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. Welcome back. It's good to have you with us. Well, welcome to you, Georgine. How are you today? (laughs) I'm doing very well. Well, I'm excited to talk about Cornerstone because not only are you training and teaching individual students, but uh, through that uh, education process, you're having an impact on the culture. So first, let me say thank you for the commitment that you and the teaching professionals at Cornerstone uh, that you're having on uh, our community. Well, thank you. Uh, praise God for that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Cornerstone. You're located um, in the, the Vancouver area with an elementary, middle school, and early childhood education center. Tell us a little bit about Cornerstone Christian Academy. Well, our school is uh, early childhood K through 8, and we're planning a high school here within two years. Um, the school serves approximately 400 students, uh, and uh, we're centrally located uh, in the uh, community of Vancouver. We are moving. Uh, uh, our, our, we've been experiencing uh, growth over the past few years, and we're located at Cornerstone Christian. We're, well, we're located at Crossroads Community Church, but they're growing and we're growing, so uh, we're going to be moving uh, within three miles of here on, uh, on 117th, the main road, the battleground. 
Well, so congratulations. We're, we're That's a, about that. a nice problem to have. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a great problem to have. And, you know, God has been good, too, because uh, our goal is to raise uh, approximately $18 million. And uh, uh, to the, within the last few months, we've um, we've raised uh, nearly $8 million. So um, it's, it's been an incredible blessing. Oh, that is incredible. As I mentioned, uh, Cornerstone uh, Christian Academy, uh, really does pursue excellence in the environment that you have created and the one that's that's going to be available at some point in the future. Talk a little bit about the teaching professionals that make Cornerstone what it is in terms of uh, a very unique opportunity for uh, parents and students. Well, you know, um, our, our mantra is um, Christ first. But within that, we believe that uh, our three R's are rigor, relevant and relationships. And we believe that under rigor that students are not sufficiently challenged, that they need an academic background and a spiritual background that challenges them, then one that will help them to understand the world and prepare them for the world that they're going to be entering into. We we, we simply believe that uh, that education hasn't changed uh, in over 200 years. And education as usual just is not making it. We're not doing a very good job of preparing our students for the future. So our goal is to usher in a new era of education that provides students um, uh, will prepare them for this next century, not not the last century. Mm-hmm. Traditional schools, traditional schools, really, I believe, are uh, extinguishing the creativity and, and the passion uh, instead of sparking it. So we're we're really excited about creating an environment here that that focuses on making education more rigorous and making it more relevant. And by that, I'm talking about uh, concepts like, uh, well, let's just talk about some of those. Uh, a lot of schools are, are more teacher-centered, and we're trying to focus more on learning and having it more learner-centered, cultivating strengths and interests of students. Uh, a lot of people do a lot of memorizing, and we're focused. We're not concerned about the memorization as much as what we are using the information and having global access to that. Uh, using the teacher as a facilitator or co-learner or coach instead of as a teacher or a lecturer. And um, so uh, focusing on on higher order thinking skills and creative synthesis, handling ambiguity and solving problems. Uh, You know, we believe that learning is not isolated. It's collaborative. Uh, We're not textbook dependent. We use multiple sources of information. we, our teachers are teaching are not teaching to one learning style. They're teaching and addressing to multiple learning mm. styles. So uh, we're trying to teach kids. We're uh, teaching them and teaching them how to learn. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely! Okay. It absolutely uh, does. I, I know we, that we it, want kids to think. Yes. And process data. Uh, so, and that's where technology comes into the place and utilizing the technology. It's not that we're emphasizing technology itself. You know, we created our learning priorities and then determined what resources we could use to achieve those priorities. And technology is the top of the list in terms of accessing that technology and allowing us to access information that is unavailable in textbooks and helping our kids in the hope and uh, preparing them for the, for the future. So, um, uh, you know, another issue is time, and the way most schools look at time uh, is a constant in education. You go to school uh, for eight semesters, you graduate, you get your degree, and you move on. Well, we think that that is 
uh, time is an obsolete concept. We believe that learning needs to be the constant. Right now, it's the variable. We think that what we've done is try to create those, what we think are those essential skills necessary for students to learn and to be successful and to prepare them for leadership in in this world that we're entering into. And uh, so uh, what, what we're saying is that uh, time becomes a variable then, and if kids can learn uh, uh, what what we think are essential skills for them, and they can do it in two years, well, Godspeed, if they can do it in five years or six years, it makes no difference to us. We we don't want to, we, we want to be able to help the child around their interests, their passion, their giftedness, and preparing them for that. And so time uh, does not dictate that. Uh, learning dictates that. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does make sense. We're talking about Cornerstone oh. Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. Superintendent um, Bill Gibbons is our uh, guest. You also have a, um, a uh, an exceptional program for early childhood education and a facility for infants through preschool. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Well, we have about 140 students that are attending our early childhood education program. And yes, uh, there we also it's a uh, it's not a daycare. They uh, the students are uh, uh, use play and movement as an opportunity for uh, preparing them for learning. Uh, 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 technology is a part of the program in the uh, when they're getting to, to become um, about five years of age before they come enter into kindergarten, but. Uh, uh, the emphasis there is on uh, uh, learning to, um, social skills, uh, learning to play, uh, uh, working together, uh, and on having fun and taking advantage of their curiosity for learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we believe that uh, an inquiry form of learning uh, uh, and instruction is uh, is appropriate at all levels, but especially in our preschool program or in our early childhood education program. Well, I tell you, just hearing you talk about Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership gets me excited about education and wish you were around when I was going to school. But the good news is you are around for families in the Vancouver area who are looking for an exceptional way to uh, educate their children, where they are invited to be partners, where the the uh, educators are committed to not only the education of their sons and daughters, but to teacher training and development. They are essential, and in fact, uh, they invest over 50 hours annually to train the teaching staff and the latest research and so on. Uh, for more information and for parents who are interested in uh, perhaps enrolling their children at Cornerstone, what's the best way for them to, uh, to do that? Well, uh, I think that, uh, uh, that if they... Uh, if they simply go online at Cornerstone, uh, if they go to our website, ccak12.net, again, ccak12.net, there they can learn about uh, uh, the school. Uh, they can, uh, uh, all the information regarding enrollment is there. And uh, certainly they can call our school and ask to speak with me or any of the people that are a part of of our staff would be willing to uh, work with the, with the parents, take them on tour. Our phone number is uh, 360-256-9715. And we are enrolling students now uh, beginning in March. And uh, uh, parents that will have their uh, parents that are currently enrolled have first choice through the end of uh, March and part of April, and then new students will be enrolled after after April. Well, excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership. Thank you. 
Mr. Gibbons. Thank you, Georgie. <laughs> God bless. Right. Bye-bye. Again, bless. Uh, Mr. Bill Gibbons is the superintendent at Cornerstone Christian Academy for Learning and Leadership, and their telephone number, 360-256-9715. By the way, their website is an excellent source for information as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, roadside attractions, Lionsgate, faith-based, I can only imagine, has crushed early box office forecasts. A surprising $17.1 million at uh, sixteen hundred. 29 locations in North America, which is pretty significant, far fewer than some of the larger movies in the area. Recent estimates, and I'm quoting from Variety magazine, um, for I can only imagine have been in the $2 million to $8 million range. Um, it rang up the top per site uh, average by far among this weekend's wide releases movies at $10,476. And it notched an A-plus cinema score among patrons. Uh, so they were anticipating two to four to $8 million uh, range, 17.1. Well, Roadside Attractions co-president told Variety that the distributor began to get a sense of, uh, in the recent weeks, that I can only imagine would overperform thanks to $1.6 million in pre-sales and $130 million trailer views. Uh, they budgeted at just $7 million. It tells the story of uh, Bart Millard, who's the uh, leader of uh, Mercy Me, and his uh, conception of I Can Only Imagine, the best-selling um, uh, Christian single of all time, which I didn't realize that's the best-selling Christian single of all time. Anyway, J. Michael Finley stars as Millard uh, with Dennis Quaid as his father in the film from directors Andrew Irwin and John Irwin, uh, who helmed the 2015 Woodlawn, 2014 Mom's Night Out. Uh, Cohen said, I can only imagine benefited from grassroots support from churches and groups as well as from Mercy Me, who have been helping promote the film on social media. We knew that it was going to do well, but we never expected a $17 million opening. Cohen added, uh, we're planning to be on um, well over 2,000 screens next weekend. So that's more than what they were, what they had this weekend. Reviews have been mixed to um, uh, positive with that. I can only imagine currently holding a 58% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't altogether surprising given the theme. The pre-Easter corridor is often used to launch faith-based films. Sony will open Paul, Apostle of Christ on the 23rd. That's this Friday, while Pure Flix, in fact, uh, I think James Blend and I need to take a a trip to see that one so we can report back on it, maybe even this Friday. Anyway, Pure, uh, Pure Flick's uh, threequel, God's Not Dead, A Light in Darkness, is going to debut on the 30th. Uh, the start of the Easter weekend. The first two God's Not Dead movies grossed a total of $81.5 million. Lionsgate's The uh, the Check uh, was the top faith film of uh, 2017 with $57 million at the domestic box office after its March 3rd debut. Uh, again, quoting from Variety, I can only imagine finished in third place at the domestic box office behind um, uh, Tomb Raider. Uh, in the number two slot at twenty three point five million and three thousand eight hundred and fifty four sites. Now keep in mind three thousand eight hundred and fifty four sites for Warner Brothers, MGM, and Disney's Marvel Black Panther, uh, which won its fifth consecutive weekend at twenty seven million with thirty eight hundred locations. Disney's second weekend of time travel adventure, a, week, a Wrinkle in Time, followed in fourth at sixteen point six million and thirty nine hundred locations. So it's pretty impressive. 
um, that with so uh, few um, locations, 1,629 locations in North America that they did so well. So congratulations. I can only imagine opening this uh, this past weekend. Also, everyone knows that moms are heroes as uh, it's a job where you can just clock off um, at five o'clock. It's a full time Literally, full-time job. You're working every hour under the sun. But now research has confirmed what every mother and those of us who are observant already knows. It's actually more work than a full-time job. I'm pausing so that you can, from wherever you happen to be, driving, sitting, standing, say, a heartfelt, duh. A survey of 2,000 American moms of children aged 5 to 12 analyzed their weekend, or rather their weekly schedule. The study conducted by juice company Welch's revealed that the average daily start time for a mom is 6.23 a.m., if she's lucky, much earlier than when most people start their working day. Again, duh. Uh, Once she has uh, finished all the tasks, whether they are career-related or parenting, she ends uh, her work at 8.31. Again, uh, that's p.m., if she's lucky. Not many jobs require a 14-hour working day, and most moms have to do this every day of the week. In total, that makes a mother's uh, work week a whopping 98 hours a week, and that, I would suggest, is a conservative figure, and two and a half times more than the average job. The survey also revealed that the average mom gets just one hour, seven minutes of time to herself every day. So a little more than a lunch hour, uh, if she gets that. Casey Lewis, health and nutrition lead at Welch's, told Yahoo the results of the survey highlighted just how demanding the role of mom can be and the nonstop uh, barrage of tasks it consists of. Pausing once again for, well, yeah, Uh, moms need all the help they can get. And when asked what they um, couldn't live without, they said, and it wasn't Welch's grape juice, they said a constant supply of coffee, the ability to nap, being able to uh, put on an effective angry voice. Other lifesavers were, well, adult beverages, babysitters and family help, Netflix, wet wipes, drive through meals, iPads, toys and healthy snacks. All that to say kudos to mom who have been doing it for millennia, that's plural, uh, without so much as a thank you very much from the broader culture, certainly in our time. Anyway, putting things into perspective, which moms and those who care about them and observe them and appreciate all that they do have already known that um, they work um, at least 2.5 full-time jobs compared to what... uh, those of us who might sit behind a desk do. And some of those moms are doing both things. So just putting that into perspective. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Christine Hoover. The book is simply titled Searching for Spring. Now, is this the first day of spring or is that just coming up? I mean, we're pretty close. Today is the first day of spring. So I guess we don't really have to search too far, but this is a different kind of spring, how God makes all things beautiful in time. And this is an excellent season when we are discouraged and need refreshment to be reminded of the fact that God can do just that. We'll talk with Christine Hoover uh, on the uh, significance of God's renewing um, energy and, and power to transform things in and for us. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Colin Smith. The book is titled Heaven, So Near, So Far, The Story of Judas Iscariot. He is the uh, most uh, hated villain of all time, and we're going to look a little bit deeper into his life and legacy. On Thursday, we'll talk with Jonathan Bach. He's the co-author of The Way Back, How Christians Blew Our Credibility and How We Can Get It Back. Now, it may be uh, too broad a brush to suggest that Christians uh, in general blew our credibility, but I think what they're 
uh, suggesting is that there are those who are more prominent uh, who have blown a credibility that must be restored. So we'll give them an opportunity or him an opportunity uh, to talk about what he thinks has been lost and how we might find it again. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show as we are finishing up the day. I want to thank Clark Hilton for in, for engineering today's program, James Blend for engineering a portion of and producing all of today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.